We're going to read the Bible now. If you can open up to page 659. Uh, We're reading from Micah. Reading Micah 7, um, right through to the end. Six five nine page. What misery is mine? I am like one who gathers some fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The godly have been swept from the land, not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Do not trust a neighbour. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful with, of your words. For a son dishonours his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants. As the result of their deeds... Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bastion and Gilead, as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths, and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham 
as you pledged an oath to our fathers in days long ago. Testament reading is from 1 Timothy. It's on page 839 in your church Bible. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. Uh, let me welcome you, especially if you're uh, new visiting just amongst us for the first time. It's great to have you join us. Uh, we've been working through the book of Micah. We come to the very end, the final chapter. I'd encourage you uh, to reopen to that first reading that Steve brought to us. Uh, Micah, if um, you know, you're, you're less familiar with him, we're about 700 years before Jesus. Uh, the two kingdoms of Israel have been split in two. Uh, Assyria was the scary superpower of the day. It was people who lived in times of uh, injustice. Uh, but Micah speaks of God and his passion for justice, for putting things right, uh, and how different he is from us that we might find comfort but also uh, have reason to praise him all the more. Uh, let's pray that God might speak to us this morning from this part of his word. Our Lord and Father, we are thankful for uh, your word. We're thankful for the privilege we have to meet and look at it, we, for the privilege of uh, hearing it spoken so freely. Uh, but Father, we ask that it wouldn't simply be uh, information for uh, our minds this morning, but indeed our hearts and souls might be stirred. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, as we are presented an image of you from your word, we would uh, love it and love to live for you and love to live like you. So Father, may your spirit powerfully work in us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's not particularly hard to find evidence uh, of the brokenness of this world, is it? Uh, 90 asylum seekers uh, lost their lives just north of Christmas Island. Uh, now, I've absolutely no idea what they were fleeing from, what, what was going on at home, but uh, it would have had to have been pretty broken to have made a desperate trip like that. Now, the world hurts uh, and solutions are really hard to find. Our, our politicians, you can ask them, it seems that they are, they are crippled to inactivity in dealing with the plight of those risking their lives to get here. 
uh, or the doco I saw this week on the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, a civil war there has been raging uh, for well over a decade that's seen more killed uh, than any other since World War II. Uh, what's in the Eastern Democratic Republic it's, uh, of Congo it's described as the rape capital of the world. It's brutal and ugly. Now, in the reality of this broken world, uh, what hope is there? Now, even in my kind of little world, uh, in my little, little sphere of influence, uh, the world has problems beyond me. You know, there are people we know who have uh, broken lives and broken relationships. They have uh, deep, deep hurts from childhood. They have concerns about you know, their, their job and their welfare and their health. Uh, six months ago, uh, author Matthew Riley kissed his wife Natalie goodbye. Uh, he was off on his way on a, a promotional tour. Uh, he had no idea that she planned to take her own life when he was away. Uh, she lost her battle with uh, depression and anorexia. He just recently gave an interview and he said, I can't say I'm fully recovered yet, but I am fumbling my way through it, trying to come to terms with what has happened. It's a door she's gone through and I can't follow. You know, this world is, is broken uh, and fixing it is beyond me. And so what hope can we offer to people that doesn't actually trivialise reality? Nothing but God himself. Nothing but God himself. Uh, those beautiful words, have a look at them from Micah 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the rem remnant of his inheritance? You do not say angry forever, but delight to show mercy. So the, the book of Micah is all about divine justice, all about God's passion for right, for putting things right, making things right, and and. In the final chapter, we see uh, that, that hope of divine justice can bring uh, hope to our reality. At one point, I hope we get from Micah 7 as we kind of skim over it this morning, that God's character gives hope in hardship. God's character gives hope in hardship. So if you're coming this morning uh, feeling a little broken, you know, if you come this morning just knowing people who are broken, or even if you're just here today wanting to remember what makes God so kind of wonderfully unlike us, and hold on to this truth, God's character gives hope in hardship. First, we see the hardship. Mike is honest about both hardship and hope. We see the hardship that God's people really do suffer. Uh, so Micah's ministry, by the time of chapter 7, it's at the end. Uh, the northern kingdom have most likely been wiped out by the Assyrians at this point. Uh, the, the previous king of the south, uh, Micah, lived through his reign, a guy called Hezekiah. He actually lived and, and listened for a while to what God said. Uh, he brought about some religious and moral reforms, but he died. King Manasseh uh, basically wound back those reforms. And uh, with a great passion, he threw himself into idolatry and injustice like no one had before. And chapter 7 comes and Mike is feeling the pain. Uh, it starts in verse 1 with kind of this spiritual isolation that his ministry, his decades of preaching hasn't borne fruit. He's, he's, he's preached for nearly 30 years, but there are no um, clusters of grapes. There are no early figs that he craves. He explains what he means in verse 2. That is, there's not an upright man remaining. You know, he's worked all this time, but people aren't listening. He's feeling spiritually isolated. Uh, and around him, society is crumbling. So life is dangerous and it's violent. In verse 2, you get a sense of the violence. It's, it's total. It's all of them. It's intentional. People are lying in wait. It's not accidental. It, it's violent. They're waiting to shed blood. And 
It's, it's this treachery as they hunt down their brothers. In verse 3, you look to leadership and they're no help. In fact, they just grease the wheels of injustice. You know, in verse 4, he describes that this leadership, the best of them is like a briar. In other words, the best of them will, will rip you apart. They'll shred you. Uh, in verse 5 and 6, you get a sense of just even the most secure and dependable parts of life are tearing at the seam. So relationships have become worthless. Micah uh, moves there in 5 and 6 from you know, acquaintances you know to, to best friends to your spouse and your family members. You know, he moves to closer and closer levels of intimacy um, only to find that at every level there are enemies. Yet Micah is honest about the hardship of life. You know, there is suffering and just being faithful to God doesn't mean you're immune from it. You know, God's people actually share in the world's brokenness. It is one of the satisfactions, I think, of, of reading the Bible. It doesn't sugarcoat reality. It actually deals and is honest with reality. You know, God's people share in every way in this world's brokenness. Uh, I read of a Chinese evangelist having his son uh, beaten with iron bars by uh, public security officials. Uh, and when his mother rang... Uh, the ambulance to, to get help reception told her that government instructions had come through not to dispatch any help to her son. Yeah, and it's appalling and it's indefensible, but it's sadly not surprising. You know, Hebrews 11 gives this, this long list of the suffering and the destitution and the mistreatment of the faithful. And you know we share in the brokenness of this world and, and just... Believing in God doesn't mean you, you won't. The, the loneliness, the injustice, the betrayal Micah felt, you, know, you will feel, you may feel, you might be feeling now. It grieved me to hear just recently a woman abused and misused and abandoned by her own family. In her own words, she said, she has no people, just like verse 5 and 6. Yeah, it's grievous, but sadly it's not surprising. Now, God's people really do suffer uh, and, and faith is not immunity to that. And perhaps what's most confronting about what Micah has to say and his lament and his grief isn't just that life is hard, but he's willing to recognise his own part in, his pro- in these problems. If you go over to verse 9, uh, he says, Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. So in the face of all the kind of brokenness of the world, uh, Micah doesn't shift the blame, though it's tempting to. I'm sure he could have you know, said, oh, at least I'm not the one who's you know, kind of lying in wait doing violence. You know, I've been a prophet. I've been, you know, but he doesn't take that kind of high moral ground. And he doesn't complain to God how, God, I've been so good, you know, uh, I deserve better. You know, he doesn't start down a, a kind of track of saying to God, give me what I deserve, because that's a dangerous place to go. Uh, instead, he, he accepts that just as others' sin hurts him, his sin at points has contributed in hurting others. It's, it's the kind of confession we read that Georgie read to us from 1 Timothy, Paul's confession, him, the worst of sinners. You know, they're, they're, they're words that are reminiscent of G.K. Chesterton. Uh, Time magazine, some time ago, uh, ran a competition and they invited essays on the topic, uh, What is Wrong with the World? Uh, and Chesterton uh, famously wrote his entry... What is wrong with the world? Dear sirs, I am. So part of why we get so overwhelmed when we're confronted with the brokenness of this world is because, well, we've had a part in making it that way. 
Yeah, and Micah challenges us in, the, in really the face of the brokenness of this world um, not to be puffed up with superiority. superiority you know, aren't, we, aren't we so good? Or you know, Not to, to lead to blame others. Aren't they those wicked people over there who cause all the problems? And, or even to be indignant with God and blame him. Instead, in verse 9, he just admits his guilt and he waits for the Lord to please his case. Now, hardship is, let's be honest, hardship is a reality even for God's people. But so too is hope. You know, Micah is honest about hope. The hope is that God's people really will thrive. So in, the, in verse 7, in the face of this ruin, uh, Micah is actually full of anticipation. Um, he looks to the Lord. He, he watches in hope for the Lord, his saviour, for salvation to come. Now, that very act of waiting is an acknowledgement that he can't change anything, uh, but he is confident that God is able and he is confident that God will listen. And so he waits with confidence that that within this brokenness, God will bring about the situation of thriving. And so in verse 8 and following, he kind of paints a picture again. He's great at painting pictures. He paints a picture of what, what prospects there are, why we should have hope, what, what the future is. Uh, he, he warns the enemies in verse 8, you know, don't gloat because you're not going to have the last laugh. You know, no, no, the Lord is going to, to lift his people up from the darkness. And in verse 10, he's going to humiliate those who mock them for their faith. Uh, in verse 11, they'll, they'll get to rebuild their walls. Uh, the walls there are not kind of big fortresses. This is not kind of military stuff. It's little sheep pens and vineyards, those kind of walls. Uh, it's it's the, the idea of expanding and restoring and life being good. And, and they'll go out further. It'll be extending boundaries, and they'll need to, because in verse 12, um, all these other nations will join in. Uh, in verse 12, they're going to come from everywhere, from sea to sea. Uh, Assyria and Egypt get a special mention there. That is, they are the uh, Egypt's the ancient enemy of God's people. Uh, in Micah's time, Assyria are the current enemy. The kind of idea is even the enemies of God, not that even the kind of neutral people, the enemies of God are going to come and they will flock and they will, they want to meet with God rather than oppose Him. Now this is thriving, isn't it? This is the this is the future. Micah says God will bring about you know economic security that makes others envious. They want to kind of join and a and a God who is worth following and. Yeah, and as Micah rolls on, he, he, he calls out for God himself to act. In verse 14, he says, The Lord is going to sh- come and shepherd his people, and, and he will protect them and he will secure them. Uh, from 15 on, he's looking forward to this time where God just, you know, those great wonders and signs he did, the ten plagues when he brought people out of uh, Egypt, his people, he's going to do those kind of things again, and, and, the, and the opposition will be humiliated. You know, the power of the nations in 16 will be cut off. In, in 17, they're going to be brought as low as possible. Just like Satan had been brought down low when he tempted humanity in the Garden of Eden, so too they're going to be brought down to, to lick the dust like a snake. In 17, they're going to run in fear. You know, hardship is a reality, yes, but, but so is hope because God doesn't get overcome. You know, God's people will actually thrive into eternity. Why? Well, it's not because they're perfect. Uh, far from it. Hope is not in our inherent goodness. <laughs> yeah, hope springs from the character and person of God himself. Verse 18, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You don't say angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You'll hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You know, that, that, that hardship of the world, uh, because of our sin, our guilt, 
How will we overcome? You know, from the, the, the loneliness and the violence and the betrayal of Micah's uh, day to, to our own dark hearts, there is a hope of thriving despite that. Not just because there is a God, but because of who our God actually is, what he is like, his character. Because you know, there is no other God who can deal so completely with our problem of sin, the brokenness of this world. You know, only, only the Lord, we see, deals with the penalty of sin. In verse 18, um, he pardons sin, he, he forgives transgression, that is, he forgives uh, rebellion, treason. You know, what kind of government overlooks treason? But the Lord, in his mercy, pardons ours. You know, our attempt to dethrone him. You know, the word for pardon in verse 18 is uh, lifting up. Uh, it's, an, it's an image taken from the Day of Atonement. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, the, uh, the, the sins would be symbolically lifted up and taken off the people and placed on some goats uh, and you know, taken off then to death and into the wilderness and, and gotten rid of completely. You know, but, but we know more powerfully how God himself has, has lifted our sins when Jesus Christ, God himself, was lifted up on the cross. You know, who is a God like him who would take our sins into his own flesh within himself? Who is a, who is a God like him you know, the Father pouring out the, the, all his wrath at every act of injustice and the Son bearing the full penalty. Now, the prospect of facing God uh, on the Day of Judgment should fill um, a sane person with a real kind of self-evaluation with terror. If you actually know what you're like and, and you know that he is you know, all-consuming holiness, you know, knowing that our guilt would be exposed should frighten us. But if you're in Christ... Not a fault will be found. Not a fault. You know, only the Lord can deal so fully with the penalty of sin that, that all fear is removed. You know, there is hope in hardship because we don't have to pay what we owe. You know, and only the Lord deals with, with the power of sin. In verse 19 you see this, this beautiful picture. He's going to trample it under, underfoot. Tread our sins underfoot. You know, that is, he breaks the stranglehold that sin has on us. You know, our problem is not just that we, we naturally sin, but, but we can't and, and won't do anything else except rebel against God. But in you know, Romans 6, beautiful chapter, we read how, how Jesus didn't just die to, to cover the penalty, but also to break sin's power. In Christ, we are dead to sin. We are alive to God. In Christ, we don't have to choose to sin every time. You know, there is hope in hardship because sin has been trodden down. You know, and so there is a future where sin doesn't have to be around. There's a future where we can thrive because it doesn't have power over us. There's a, there's a future we see that only the Lord deals with the presence of sin and gets rid of the presence completely. So again in verse 19, he heaves it all into the sea. You know, it's, it's just like when uh, the people of Israel were, were kind of fleeing from uh, the, the Egyptian forces uh, and, and they were coming to the sea and God had rescued them from slavery and and as they passed through, then the Egyptians came and the horse and rider were thrown into the sea. Completely gotten rid of. And in the same sense, their presence was removed. Well, in the same sense, the Lord does that with our sin. You know, he's removed it forever. Christ's complete dealing with sin means that guilt doesn't have to haunt a believer's mind. You know, I've done many, many things to be ashamed of. And there are moments of... Uh, in my mind, I suppose that if I relive them, I wince. And I suspect that's kind of natural and you have those as well. But in Christ, it's unnecessary. 
You know, the hope that we offer in hardship and have in hardship is that all sin will one day just be a forgotten memory. Yeah, as the presence of sin is completely heaved into the sea and done away with. Now the world is hard, but there is hope because there is no other God but him and no other God like him. Uh, John Carment was uh, an esteemed, uh, an elderly Scottish professor of law. Uh, His pastor, a guy called Andrew White, uh, had consulted him on a business matter, so they were talking law. At the end of their meeting, Carmen uh, swept the, the papers aside, uh, let's put business away, and he, and he leaned across the table and asked with kind of real seriousness and gravity, have you, any, have you any word for an old sinner? Now, White was caught a little off guard. This was kind of a business legal thing rather than a, uh, rather than a pastoral visit. Um, but just that afternoon, he'd been looking at Micah 7, Micah seven eighteen. Uh, and so he stammered out kind of, you know, four simple words from the King James Version. He delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. Uh, and then he left. Uh, the next day he, um, he got a letter from Carmen. Uh, Carmen wrote how he'd just been passing through this period of, of deep spiritual darkness. Yeah, and those four words were just a flood of light to his soul. You know, it just kind of banished the darkness for good. Uh, a few days later, Carmen uh, went to be with the one who delighteth in mercy. He went to be with his Lord. Now, perhaps today, if you, if you know the world is hurting or, and you too are hurting, maybe those four words are for you. He delighteth in mercy. There is hope because of who our God is. Now, this world is broken. doesn't matter what you believe, you're still going to get hurt there are still things we should do in light of Micah 7. You know, we can offer something to those feeling the injustice of this world. You know, the, the divine justice should impact us. Uh, let me suggest in two ways. Uh, first, let me encourage you to invest in knowing God. Invest in knowing God. Uh, Micah, in, uh, in verse 7, he's just boldly confident because he knows God. Did you get it there? Um, notice the first person personal pronouns is your little English grammar lesson for the moment. Um, Verse 7, I wait for God, my Saviour. My God will hear me, not someone else's God. You know, hope that survives in hardship is actually built on not just knowing, yes, there is a God out there, but knowing that God, knowing the character of that God, having him as your God. So invest in knowing him. Uh, Jim Packer wrote, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What's the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. What's the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives him most pleasure? Knowledge of God himself. Now what matters is knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing who God is. Uh, And sad to say that um, even we believers get sidetracked at points from that, don't we? You know, Bible reading programs, you can have a, a really great super one, uh, but it can become just a you know, box to tick. You, know, you skim over the passage, excellent, done that one, excellent, what's the next thing to do? Without, without kind of giving thought to the one who inspired and preserved those words, the one who is revealing himself in that word. You know, it might be the, the grind and just the circumstances and the busyness of life, even the struggles and the pains mean you know, our thoughts just get consumed by everything else. And, and God becomes someone who we used to know, like in the parable of the sower. 
The weeds just come and choke. Yeah, but the best in life is not knowing about God, but knowing God. Uh, at a recent conference I went to, I, I had the privilege, had the opportunity of spending um, eight hours without a, a watch, a phone, a timetable, uh, eight hours of complete silence. So we're at a conference and there were lots of people around, but no one was talking to anyone. Um, eight hours to just slowly reflect on the word of God and pray. Now, it was profoundly helpful in knowing him. Now, you may not have the, the flexibility of eight hours. Your work may not offer conferences like that. But invest generously what you have. Get to know him. And secondly, can I encourage you, reveal the character of God. Reveal the one you know. You know Micah's ministry, the whole of this, this book, was to people suffering the injustice of, of a broken world. And they didn't need to be told, well, you better get on and fix yourselves. No, they needed to know the character of the God whose passion for justice means he will fix everything. And that's what Micah was on about. You know, more than anything else, those around need to know the God that we know as well. Uh, just across the water uh, at uh, St Philip's York Street, the church there, uh, back in 1891, I wasn't at this particular sermon, but I read of it, uh, J.D. Langley preached a sermon. It was entitled, The Needy and Unemployed, The Church's Duty to Them. He wrote this, The cry of men and women living in earthly hell and passing away in darkness and shame goes forth. Help us, help us. The wail of the guilty, the fallen, the suffering comes up to God tonight throughout this great city. The waves are closing round them, living in misery and shame, dying without hope. Men and women, with the name of Christian on your lips, with the mark of Christ upon your arms, I ask you, shall their cry to us be in vain? Now, his words are true, but the needy aren't just the homeless. Now, every person in this broken world needs desperately to, to know the God who delighteth in mercy if they're going to have hope. You know, who of your, who of your friends, uh, who of your colleagues doesn't know what God is really like? Who's going to reveal him to them? God's character, that's, that's what gives us hope in the face of hardship. So let me leave you again with that verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that in the brokenness of this world you long to heal and repair and fix Father, in the brokenness and the willful brokenness of our lives, you have acted to change and transform and fix us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his uh, great work in getting rid of sin forever. Thanks that in him it has been lifted from us and cast away, trampled underfoot. Father, we thank you that even in hardship that gives us hope. Uh, we ask that you, by your spirit, would help us to know you more deeply and more profoundly. And that what we know of you, we would share with others that they too might find real hope in the realities of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.